Hello to our Dear and Stern Chats listeners. This is Bar speaking. And I'm Yesra. Today we had a very special guest, Johnny Price, who's the VP of fundraising at WeFunder. WeFunder is a company that leads equity crowdfunding for entrepreneurs or in the words of WeFunder community rounds. We talked with Johnny about this emerging environment of alternative investment opportunities for both the public, who could not easily invest small money in private companies before, and for founders who are looking to engage more with their investors or customers. Johnny also gave us a glimpse to his day-to-day life at WeFunder and shared with us some opportunities to both MBA 1s and 2s who are looking to work in the growing field. We hope you will enjoy this rich conversation as much as we did. Johnny, we're thrilled to have you here with us today. Both Muyez, Yura, and myself have been waiting for a long time to have this interview with you. So thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So tell us a bit about your background that has led you to become the VP of fundraising at WeFunder. Sure. So I grew up in the UK, um, started my career in management consulting there with a firm called Oliver Wyman. Um, so I did that for four years and then went to volunteer at a nonprofit in San Francisco called Kiva. Kiva.org. Um, and while I was uh, there on a sabbatical, I met my now wife. Um, so uh, I got Oliver Wyman to transfer me from the London office to the San Francisco office so we could be in the same city. Um, and then I left Oliver Wyman and joined Kiva full time in 2011. Um, and I founded this team at Kiva called Kiva Zip, um, which was kind of a, a, a different spin on the existing Kiva model. Kiva is a, a platform that crowdfunds microloans for entrepreneurs around the world. And so I was leading the US team. Uh, and at the time we launched in Kenya as well, lending more directly to entrepreneurs. Um, so then I was at Kiva for seven years um, through the US team. And then in early 2018, uh, joined WeFunder, which is a platform that allows anyone to invest in startups, not just accredited investors, not just rich people, um, but anyone just like you can go to the stock market and invest in a company on the stock market. Um, there's no restrictions on who's able to do that. Um, and so we finally use this new law to allow anyone to invest in cool private startups. Um, and so I've been running the business development team for the last uh, four years here, um, initially in San Francisco, um, where I was until mid, mid 2020. Um, and then when the pandemic hit, my wife and I and now three kids uh, moved to Nashville. So we've been in Nashville Uh, Tennessee for the last uh, year and a half or so. That's great to hear. I hope your kids are about to become musicians because they're located in the right place. <laughs> yeah, I, I play the piano. So I've got, uh, I've got my five-year-old daughter and my three-year-old son uh, doing some scales. Uh, my one, one and a half-year-old daughter uh, hasn't yet mastered it. Um, but sometimes I pick her up and play the, the piano with her bum. Uh, so even even she is uh, starting to to make some music. That's so cool. Johnny, what has made you make this transition from a nonprofit dealing with entrepreneurs into the equity funding field, working with entrepreneurs, but also with investors to make returns? Yeah, um, it's a good question. I kind of have done a bit of a maybe a, a yo-yo or, or maybe it's like, One end of the spectrum, the other, and now somewhere in the middle. So Oliver Wyman, the first job I did was like, you know, for-profit consulting. It was very, very for-profit, right? And then I went to do seven years at Kiva, which was a non-profit. 
and we fund there's a public benefit corporation a b corp so i would say like you would most people would say it's a social enterprise um but it is a for-profit company um and just with a clear social mission so now probably somewhere in the middle um and i don't really get hung up on um kind of you know the definitions or the kind of legal structures i think you can have you can have a lot of you know positive impact as a you know non-profit a for-profit a social enterprise pbc public benefit corporation um and you can have a lot of growth as a for-profit a non-profit or a pbc i think it's like easier to have growth when you're a for-profit company it's hard for non-profits to grow for a number of structural reasons and it's easier to have kind of deep impact as a non-profit um, <laughs> and so you know i it but it wasn't like a kind of you know really deliberate strategic decision that the next job i'm gonna go work for a, a social enterprise i just met the we fund a team thought the mission was really really cool um what they were doing was was cool and yeah it's been an absolute uh, incredible roller coaster ride over the last four years before we get into the details of what we funder does can we actually go a little bit deeper into that notion of public benefit corporation? I know for me, when I first heard of that was when I started digging into the crowd equity funding. So can you explain to our listeners, what is a public benefit corporation and how does being one change how you actually have to structure your business and how you relate to the, the entrepreneurs and the investor side of the business? Yeah, so most um, companies are, an LLC, limited liability corporation, or an S corporation, or a C corporation. Um, we talked about 501c3 nonprofits as well. Um, most venture-backed startups are C corporations. Most are incorporated in Delaware because the business laws are kind of well tried and tested in Delaware. And so most startups are Delaware C corps. Um, and we fund that instead of being a Delaware C corp is the Delaware Public Benefit Corporation, PBC. And the main difference between a C corp and a PBC is that whereas as a C Corp, you're legally obligated to maximize shareholder value. So you have to do as the you know CEO board of a C Corp, you have to do things that are going to maximize shareholder value. Obviously, you can have a long debate about the best tactics and strategies to drive shareholder value, but that's your legal mandate. Uh, with the PBC, you're legally obligated to uphold your PBC charter. Um, which our PVC charter, you know, talks about um, getting more capital flowing to entrepreneurs through America or allowing ordinary people to invest in, you know, cool startups or leveling the playing field. And so you can define your kind of social mission however you want to. And so then it just gives you a little bit more legal teeth, I would say, and the ability to, okay, you know, when you're faced with a tough decision, kind of to, to kind of consider maybe the holistic impact on on society or whatever your kind of your charter is as opposed to narrowly narrowly kind of maximizing the economic interests of shareholders so i think it's kind of cool it's often confused with a b corp um so uh, a b corporation benefit corporation is um this kind of almost like a branding lo logo that um this company called b lab it does kind of accreditation of companies and so they will say, yep, okay, you qualify for our B Corp stamp of approval. Um, there isn't any legal kind of underpinnings to a B Corp, although I think you have to, be, you can be a C Corp and then you become a B Corp. Sorry, there's a lot of acronyms here and letters. I think you have to convert to a PBC within two years of becoming a B Corp. Um, otherwise, you lose that B Corp status. So there's some kind of link between a PBC and a B Corp, but they're, they're actually different things. 
So you bring up a great point of leveling the playing field, which is a notion that is very prominent in the crowd equity funding space. Uh, one of the past articles that you have written, you speak passionately about the problem that today only 1% of venture capital dollars go to Black founders, about 2% goes to female-only founding teams, and the majority of the capital is dispersed between New York, California, and Massachusetts. So can you actually explain to our listeners uh, what role WeFunder plays in changing this, uh, and what kind of results are you seeing in making a mark on changing up that space. Yeah, absolutely. So in politics, we have a democratic political system, right, where everyone has a vote um, rather than a king kind of, you know, basically ruling over us <laughs> subjects, right? Uh, and so there used to be more kind of aristocratical kind of, uh, you know, methods of governing, right, in like the 18th, 19th centuries, like the the kind of wealthy people like controlled the, the reins of power. And I mean, obviously that, that still happens, but at least uh, with the, with kind of, you know, democracy and politics, everyone gets a vote, right? Um, and we think that's a good thing. And we think it leads to more equitable um, outcomes because people's voices can be heard. And so basically what WeFunder is about is applying democracy to early stage um, uh, financing. So rather than let's say, you know, a small number of uh, venture capitalists um, kind of d deciding where, where all the money goes. We will also allow, you know, ordinary people to cast um, votes with their $100 investments um, in founders on WeFunder. So that's, that's the idea. And it, with respect to, you know, how we hope that then levels the playing field for founders, you know, yeah, those stats that you mentioned, right, a very, very low percentage of, of VC dollars to date have gone to uh, founders of color, women, you know, the 47 states that aren't California, New York, and Boston, or Massachusetts. And so I believe that a very important reason for why we see some of these statistics is that most of the venture capitalists or most of the people that kind of in the you know previous system have been making investment decisions have been white men living in silicon valley uh, new york and boston um, and so the idea with wefunder is that if you can allow anyone to be an angel investor women of color in tennessee where i live can now become angel investors where previously they were legally prevented from doing that if they weren't accredited which is basically having a million dollars of net worth, excluding your primary residence or having $200,000 income or $300,000 household income over the last two years. So it's probably about five, 10% of the population maybe that meets those criteria. And so the vast majority of the population are excluded. And so what WeFunder is about, and we rely on this new law called regulation crowdfunding, which is part of the 2012 Jobs Act that Barack Obama wrote into law. Um, and so this just basically liberalizes the regulations and allows anyone to invest in startups. So now more um, women of color outside of the coasts can become investors. And then we hope that then that helps more capital to flow to founders who've been historically underrepresented. And so I'd say we're making progress and, and on both sides, right? So if you look at angel investors, I, I you know, Googled it and it looks like 85, 90% of angel investors conventionally are men. On WeFunder, it's maybe about 70% are men. 
So it's definitely not 50-50. I'm sure there's more that we can do over time. We want to get it closer to 50-50, but it's a, a good step in the right direction on the investor side. And then the same on the founder side, you know, like if, if as you said, you know, um, last year, 1% of VC dollars went to black founders. And I don't know what the black population of the US is, maybe it's 11%. We, we fund is about 5%. So 5x better than the, you know, conventional uh, kind of market. Um, still, maybe not where we'd want it to be. I still got some work to do. And same on geography, same on gender. Um, so important steps in the right direction. Um, still got some work to do. But that, the point around democracy and allowing everyone to invest and cause their vote with their dollars on which startups should be funded is kind of how we're hoping to, to kind of, as you say, level the playing field. Right. And this brings us to talk more about what WeFunder does. So WeFunder calls its process of helping startups to raise money from the public community rounds. Can you talk a little bit more about this definition? What is a community round? Is there any limit to the investment in such a round and how popular it is today? Yeah. So a community round is a term that we've come up with recently to, to really describe what we're doing. Most people kind of have historically called it investment crowdfunding, but we like community round. So we're trying to go with that. So thanks for using that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you have a friends and family round, right, where you're raising from friends and family. And then you have an angel round where you're raising from angels and you have a seed round. Um, and so the idea with the community round is that you're raising from your community. Um, and your customers. And so you can raise $5 million per year um, in a community round on platforms like WeFunder, and there's others too. Uh, we use this exemption called regulation crowdfunding, which is the new law that I mentioned. Normally, startups are raising through regulation D, where you're limited to raising from accredited investors. And with regulation crowdfunding, you can now raise from unaccredited investors. And so all of your customers, all of your community members, your users, your supporters um, can invest in you. And this kind of, I'm, I'm kind of using two, two phrases as to why founders would, would do this. Uh, the first is to delight your customers. So for me, like what better way could there be if you, if you have customers as a startup, what better way to delight those customers than to give them ownership of your company in a really small way? Maybe it's a hundred dollars. The average investment on WeFunder is a thousand dollars. But the idea is that if you give your customers ownership in your company, then they're going to spend more of their money with you versus your competitors, or they're going to have a higher net promoter score, or they're going to have a higher retention and a lower churn. So you kind of delight your customers and then engage your community, right? So every startup founder is trying to say, how do I build more community? You know, they're trying to do it in Slack forums and social media and building in public and all the different ways that people are trying to build, build community. But again, what better way to build, build community than by, you know, allowing your community members to invest in your company? We roll the investors up to one line on your cap table. So if you raise $5 million from 5,000 people, um, that's one special purpose vehicle, one SPV on your cap table. So logistically, administratively, it's pretty simple for you as a founder. But yeah, it's um, that's that's kind of what we're talking about with the community round and, and why founders uh, increasingly are saying, yeah, this seems like a no-brainer. Like, I think I tweeted recently, if you don't want to delight your customers, then you should definitely not run a community round. Uh, <laughs> I think more and more founders are kind of like, kind of putting it together, like saying, yeah, this kind of makes sense, actually. And even VCs as well, like more and more VCs are saying, 
Yeah, you can see how this would actually accelerate the growth of my portfolio companies. So Johnny, you should go and talk to Rebecca. So Johnny, I have a question about um, some of those campaigns of community rounds. Is there a story that you can share with us that is a particular success story that stands out in your mind? And let us know why do you think their campaign went so well, like what they did differently, why it was able to raise as much money as it did? Yeah, I think um, like a really good example, probably the best example we've had on WeFunder is Mercury Bank. Um, so uh, they are building a bank um, kind of tailored to startups. They um, had raised 120 million Series B from Co2 and Andreessen Horowitz and then opened up a $5 million allocation to their customers um, to invest in them. And they just have... Yeah, I have like 40,000, I think, customers um, who just really, really love the product. And they're all startup founders, right? Startup founders tend to be really interested in what, what we're doing. So they sent, you know, one email, like told their customers about it. And within five hours, they'd, they'd funded $5 million on WeFunder. Um, really, really explosive. The, the, the kind of quickest campaign in the history of, um, you know, uh, investment crowdfunding. Um, and, you know, Imad, their CEO, has talked about this was actually a lot easier than he thought. And, you know, for him, he t he he's joked on Twitter about, I don't know if he's joking, maybe, but uh, he, he talks about these investors being his favorite, favorite investors in Mercury. Of all the VCs and angels that are investors in Mercury, these guys are his customers. And, and that's that's really cool. And there's another element of this as well. It's a little bit more touchy-feely, but it's like, you know, if you build a big company, if you slave away and build a big company for 10 years, wouldn't it be cool if um, the people that you uh, create wealth for uh, and make rich are your earliest supporters and customers and champions, as well as, uh, you know, some some rich people and, and VCs. And, and by the way, like, WeFunder is not anti-VC. Uh, I use these kind of phrases in a kind of sometimes let me say playfully provocative way. Uh, but, you know, for it's definitely not anti-VC. For me, the best strategy is to do both. So I love what Mercury Bank did, where it's like, okay, we raised 120 million from VCs and then 5 million from our customers, you know? It's not like don't raise from VCs. I think VCs can add a lot of value, um, you know, through connections, through expertise, taking a board seat, et cetera. So that's all good. It's just complement that with allowing your customers and your community to invest. And for me, like there's a lot of value on, on both sides. Right. So you're saying the combination is key to success. Yeah. I don't know if I'd say key to success. You can certainly, I mean, obviously a lot of companies just raise from VCs. And I think a lot of, a lot of companies are, um, you know, only raising from, from the, the, the crowd or the community on, on WeFunder. Um, but yeah, I think the, the best practice maybe would, would be to raise from both. And taking a step back to when WeFunder was founded, you know, WeFunder is a two-sided platform and we in business school learn a lot about how network effects can create successful platforms. Can you talk a little bit about which side of the platform you decided to subsidize when you founded WeFunder and then what is the focus today and what are the challenges with each side of the platform? Yeah, so... Um... As you say, we're a two-sided marketplace. We have founders and then we have investors. Um, we are definitely more focused on the founder side um, because for us, um, you know, a company like Mercury Bank, they can 
raise $5 million exclusively from their own customers. We would have loved to share them with WeFunder investors so that our investor base could could get into, you know, invest in this really hot startup um, on the same terms as A16Z. Um, but, you know, they, because of the $5 million limit, they were able to fill that out from their customers and they wanted to prioritize raising from their existing customers. So they didn't even need any investors on the WeFunder mm -hmm. side, right? So when you have these really explosive campaigns, Meow Wolf will be another one, Rome Research will be another one, uh, Levels will be another one, you know, um, Modern Times was a brewery down in San Diego that did this. There's a number of these big campaigns where they're just basically filling it all out from their investors before the WeFunder investors even get a look in. And that's new investor accounts that they're bringing uh, and, and new users that are, are coming to the WeFunder platform that then hopefully we can share other um, deals with them that they might be interested in making a second investment in. And so for us, the investor acquisition has really come from, you know, the really amazing, incredible founders with big audiences kind of recruiting those investors. Um, so the focus for us is really on the on the founder side. And is there something that for WeFunder is the ideal founder, whether that is a stage that the startup is at in the moment or what their next step is? Is there any advice that you would give to the current founders for them to be able to decide whether this is the right next step for them? Yeah. So I think, you know, the, the kind of dream raise for us is the Mercury Bank, right? Or the levels that was also backed by Andreessen Horowitz or Rome Research that was like a super hot startup and they can fully fund the round in, you know, a few hours. And, you know, they they don't need any kind of promotion to the WeFunder investor base. They're growing our investor base a ton. It's like super smooth, you know, raises millions of dollars, which is great economics for WeFunder. So that's kind of the sweet spot. Um and we're kind of constantly trying to find those those type of companies, right? But all that being said, I think a big part of the reason why I work at WeFunder, I think a lot of us work at WeFunder, is also to help the little guys, right? Um, and WeFunder, you know, we do $5 million raises, but we also do $50,000 raises. And so for me, if you're raising your first capital as an entrepreneur, you know, raise the friends and family round on WeFunder. Because this is a way where you can, um, you know, get it, like basically get the word out uh, to more people in your friends and family network. Um, you know, you can get in front of WeFunders investor base. On average, WeFunders investors are bringing about a third of the round. Um, and say so two thirds comes from people you bring, but one third comes from WeFunders 1.4 million strong investor base. And so, yeah, we want to be expanding access to capital for early stage entrepreneurs that um, you know don't have VCs throwing money at them. And so it's interesting. I think like you could say our kind of sweet spot is on is on both sides there. You know, companies with huge audiences that almost like don't really need the money or for whom at least it's going to be really easy for them to run a, a big WeFunder campaign. But also companies that, you know, are trying to raise that first 250K, you know, maybe their network isn't isn't kind of super strong. Um, or like they, they don't have a rich uncle that can, you know, just write them a 250K check. And WeFund is a platform and a tool that basically then makes it easier for them um, to, to raise that capital in the earliest stages of their business. So it's, um, you know, sometimes it's challenging to have kind of a, a customer base that's so uh, diverse. It would sometimes be easier if we were just super late. 
to try to expand access to capital for entrepreneurs throughout America. Um, you know, so and so it, it kind of helps us to maybe do those slightly harder things sometimes, but to yeah, really be uh, excited to help earlier stage, um, you know, kind of smaller entrepreneurs as well as the big guys. That's great. One of the things that uh, some of the founders I know in the community have expressed is that by default, institutional money comes with a lot of strings attached and uh, especially ones that already have institutional money as part of their uh, capital we're really intrigued by the idea of being able to raise money without as much of the strings attached or oversight that might come from institutions. So can you actually let us know how differently the relationship between the community investors and the founder looks and in which kind of structure does it function the best where sort of everybody's happy? Yeah. Um, well, I think yeah. If you're if you're taking money from VC, a lead investor in around is looking to take a board seat, right? And so, I think you can see it as strings attached. You can see it as like provide a ton of value and and support and services, right? And I think yeah, if you take money from the wrong VCs, it can I think be a real problem. Um, and if you take the money from the right VCs, it can be like incredibly, you know, valuable um, and and catalyzing of the business, right? And so I think like with WeFunder, um, it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. I'd probably recommend doing both, you know. Um, there's a lot of benefits from having an army of brand ambassadors and champions and, um, you know, people that can connect you to a customer that you're looking at um, closing or people that can help you hire for a software engineer that you're looking at recruiting um, or people that can share, you know, your latest pro product release on social media to get more eyeballs on it. So a lot of value that you know recruiting this army of um, supporters um, comes along with it, um, but you know if someone's investing a thousand dollars, they're not going to do as much as VC that's investing five million dollars and taking a board seat uh, where they really go deeper. Um, so for me, yeah, you especially with VCs, right? You got to be very very careful and choose choose your investors wisely. It's a marriage, you know, that's kind of you're tied at the hip to them and. So you really want to be careful that they're good people that are going to be there for you when, when they go and get stuff, which obviously it will in the journey of a startup. Um, so it, that it's it's super important to choose choose those investors very, very carefully. Um, but yeah, like you said before, we would definitely, you know, kind of usually recommend doing both, right? And there's a lot of value that you get from larger check, kind of quite sophisticated investors, um, as well as, um, you know, an army of uh, micro investors. Johnny, shifting the conversation a bit to the investor side, I assume that one of the biggest risks that those investors have is that they're dealing with illiquid assets as opposed to the public market. In the past two years, the market conditions have changed. And in fact, we see them changing while we speak. How does this affect WeFunder or investors on WeFunder platform and the chances to make gains out of their investments, if at all? What does the future of crowd equity looks like today? I think, um, you know, on the investor side, it's, it's, it's interesting to, to see how that will play out over the coming months, right? Um, actually, my intuition and, and belief is that WeFunder will be a little counter-cyclical. And so... Well, you know, 
on the on the investor side if you just look at the investor side i think yeah you know people's wealth just dropped right crypto dropped stock market dropped macroeconomic uncertainty so probably if you look at the same investor they're going to have they're going to be wanting to invest less in the coming you know months um in kind of all asset classes um including early stage startups than they were in in 2021 right but i think the founder side will probably um uh i think be a bigger driver for us where in 2021 i saw a chart yesterday that the number of early stage um financings almost doubled in 2021 over 2020 from from vcs let's say and so that was just an environment over the last 12 months where it was just much much easier than usual for founders to raise capital um early stage founders and if if we fund a you know we fund sometimes a, a vitamin where we're helping founders that don't really need the money to you know raise capital from their customers and community i would say that's a vitamin right it's like um that founder it doesn't really have a headache uh there it's it's really cool it's like customer engagement this is great but it's not like a a splitting headache a migraine whereas like if you're an early stage founder and you need money and you can't get money that is the migraine that we found it can also help solve but if in 2021 it was very very easy for founders to or easier than usual for founders to raise capital from vcs let's say and angels then we found it was a painkiller product market fit kind of diminishes a little bit and so in 2022 if as i think we all expect it like becomes a little tougher for early stage founders to, to raise capital because of macroeconomic uh, contraction and i don't think we've seen that in the seed stage yet from what i've heard it's like you know kind of growth stage um is is kind of compressing a little bit you have public market valuations compress and so C series cde later stage growth rounds are compressing early stage um i don't i haven't heard of it becoming as tight yet but i would expect it would do over the coming year um, and so there may be some of those founders that would have been able to raise in 2020 are now coming to or 2021 are now kind of looking for alternative options come to we in 2022 and i would i would imagine that that kind of growth on the on the founder side actually um, exceeds the kind of maybe dip on the investor side, but we don't know, we'll find out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think one of the nice things about WeFunder because we're investing early stage in startups that probably have like a 10 year journey ahead of them before an exit, you know, it's like, I think that kind of uh, inures us a little bit from kind of short-term volatility in the markets, right? Um, and so, I mean, you still probably have investor appetite, investor demand being subject to the fluctuations in their wealth based on their stock market holdings, et cetera. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of, it's not like you're kind of, if you invested $10,000 in a startup on WeFunder, it's not like you're kind of looking at that, like, and saying, oh, it's down to $8,000 today. Oh, it's up to $11,000 tomorrow. You know, it's a long-term investment that is, is a liquid, as you say, tied up for a number of years. And so I, I think that kind of means that this, this type of investing is a little bit more, I don't know if stable is the right word, but maybe kind of long, long-termist in our, in our outlook. So Johnny, when you look at your role at WeFunder, what is your favorite part of your job on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, I think my team. Uh, I think we've 
done a really awesome job at WeFunder of uh, recruiting um, a group of people. There's about 70 of us now who are just like really brilliant people, the most brilliant people I've ever, you know, had the privilege to work with in my career. Um, so, you know, everyone is very, very smart. They make me feel stupid most of the time um, and, you know, super driven, um, but also just like really just warm, humble um, people. So yeah, I think the culture we've, we've built is, is really cool, like super entrepreneurial culture. We like hiring founder types, um, you know, very unbureaucratic, like hardly any meetings ever, um, really just kind of optimizing for speed. Um, and yeah, so the, the people and the culture that we have, I think is probably the, the thing I love most. And but also kind of, you know, my job, I get to talk to a lot of founders, really brilliant people that are working on really cool problems um, and just, you know, some of the most brilliant people in the country. And my job is to talk with these founders all day long. It's it's really awesome. So those are those are the two things I'd, I'd probably say day to day. It really sounds like an excellent environment for post MBA students. Yeah, you guys should come work for us. Also, the balance between social impact and growth opportunities. Do you see any particular opportunities for MBA students in this field? To be honest, we don't hear about it as much as we would like to in school. So do you see any opportunity that we should know about? Yeah, definitely. Come work for WeFunder for a start. Um, that would be lovely. Um, you know, startups overall, obviously, I, um, it would be really interesting to plot a chart of a stack bar chart of where where MBA uh, graduates go uh, industry wise, uh, you know, and how that's changed over the decades. I would imagine that you know when I graduated from college uh, about seventy five years ago now, was probably kind of a higher percentage of the bar, and now probably you know big tech is is probably bigger than it was 10, 20 years ago, and I wonder about startups as well, but. Uh, you know, it's, it's tough with an MBA because you probably are paying off paying off the the the, the bill, uh, and so startups obviously you know they tend not to pay as well. Um, there's an equity compensation upside, hopefully, if there's a nice uh, uh, outcome. Um, but that that's maybe sometimes a, a challenge with MBAs. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like I joined WeFunder when I was 35. Um, and this has been the richest learnings of, of my career, right? Um, even kind of, yeah, relatively late. Um, probably it's older than most people coming out of Stern. Um, and then, yeah, with, with kind of investment crowdfunding, specifically this concept of community rounds. I mean, obviously I'm pretty biased, but I think it's, it's going to be an exciting few years. Right now, this is a tiny, tiny percentage of uh, angel investing, early stage capital for startups, VC. Um, and I just think like we're on the right side of a trend where more and more companies are going to do this. I, I tweeted, I think it was last night. Um, you know, sometimes you hear of a negative signal of uh, running a, a community around that it's a negative signal to raise capital from your community and your customers um, as, as well as VCs. Um, and I just look forward to a world. I think we're going to be there pretty soon when increasingly it's seen as a negative signal to not raise from your customers and community um both because <laughs> you know both because uh maybe that says you aren't don't have that kind of love from your customers um that other founders do um but also because you know more and more people are 
kind of coming around to our way of thinking that um, if you can bring on your customers and investors, it's going to accelerate your growth. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's the future we see and we're trying to build towards. Um, and obviously, if, if that does come to be, then it's like this is going to be a very, very exciting few years of um, of growth for this uh, for this sector. And I'll give you a heads up. We can admit this if the answer is no. But are there any internship opportunities that we funded for this summer that you want to highlight for our MBA ones? There are. Um, typically, we have six month internships, which would be would be tough. But certainly, you know, for the right person, we can explore a short term role. We actually had a guy uh, who was at Owen um, here at Vanderbilt here in Nashville who did a summer internship with us last year for three months and we're now hiring him full time. So um, can certainly uh, explore it. So please hit me up, um, give me your best pitch. Um, it's a tough sell because we do normally have longer internships than, than a MBA uh, summer intern would do, but certainly we consider it. That's great to hear. I personally think it's a fascinating opportunity for MBA students. So hopefully our listeners will make a good use of what you just said. Love it. And yeah, people can find me. I'm on Twitter, Johnny C. Price, uh, LinkedIn. I'm easy to find, Johnny Price WeFunder. Um, and my email is johnny at wefunder.com, J-O-N-N-Y at wefunder.com. So just feel free to ping me. And um, yeah, if it's a good fit, we'll, we'll be in touch. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you so much, Johnny. Thank you for sharing your information for our listeners as well. We really appreciate the openness. Absolutely, guys. If anyone made it to this point of the interview, then they must be really keen on WeFunder. So they, they deserve it. <laughs> I'm sure they made it. Thank you so much, Johnny. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.